0: Alright, so what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little bit different. I did not, we're going to read a passage of scripture that I did not put in the slides. For a couple of different reasons. Number one, it would take up some slides to do it. And number two, sometimes it's good just to practice, right? Get out your Bible, get out your phone, look it up, not just accept whatever is put on a screen. Look at it with your own eyes. So if you would, turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back part, or kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Why was unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath, and a great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much, and she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at your door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. I remember as a kid listening to this story and I thought God was harsh. You ever thought that before? I'm like, man, you know, it's like the story in the Old Testament where the guy touched the ark trying to keep it from falling and it was immediately struck down. You see, the problem is as a child, it's not whether God was being harsh. That's the that's the unusual thing. The unusual thing is God is so merciful All the time. That's the problem. In my mind, oh man, God was being harsh. No. All the times I've messed up in my life. All the mistakes, all the decisions, everything that I've ever done. All the times that God was merciful is the real part of this story. Now, I used to think a lot it had to do with money as well. And I'm not going to preach about money, but I will say this. I always find it interesting. The only people that don't have a problem about preaching about money is people who give. Right? And I can say that. I'm not employed here. You're not paying me. Right? I can say all the things Pastor Doug wished he could say to you. You know, I could tell you how it is and everything. But I always found. And um, so just a little rabbit trail, right? So uh, I remember there was this older preacher's name was Claude Cravens. And he used to tell this story. There you go. Neil knows him well. He used to tell this story. I was a missionary for a period of time, and I traveled around, and I was at many conferences where Claude Craven spoke. And he would tell this story about when he was a pastor. He had he had retired and then kind of just you know, traveled around and preached and things like that in his retirement. And he told a story about a guy who struggled with giving to his church. This has got nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a good story, right? So anyway... Uh what happens is he goes into Claude's office and you know uh brother Claude, you know, talking to him, and the guy's talking about how hard it is for him to surrender this part of his life for giving. And so Pastor Claude says this, he's a and I can't remember what his name is, so I'm gonna name him Stephen because I saw Stephen Kitchens this morning and I told him I had a sermon with his name on it. So uh so his name was Stephen, right? And so uh he said, You know what, Stephen? I want you to give this month. And whatever you're lacking, like what God has put on your heart, whatever you're lacking, I will personally pull it out of my money to make it up. Would you consider doing that as a a way to, to, to kind of give? And the guy thought about it for a while and he said, sure. And then he stopped. He said, now I want you to realize, Stephen, he said, uh, you agree to trust a man who has nothing. Rather than the God who has everything. And man, that just I mean, I remember that. that was literally twenty years ago when I heard that story, back when I could jump on a stage. Right? So uh now that's that's the rabbit trail, right? I used to think it was about money, but it's not necessarily about money. Now, there's a couple of things that came through my mind as I was reading this passage. Obviously he was tempted. Obviously, he had a lie, and Satan was involved in that in his heart, and so I started asking myself, was he just greedy? Was that all the temptation it was? Or was it the temptation of the praise of men, right, to go in and pretend you're giving this big offering, pretend, you know, that you're sacrificing in some way? I don't exactly know, but I know that all of us face temptations every single day, and it's only... By the mercy of God, that we're given another chance to walk with Him. Now, to be tempted is not a sin. Do you know that? Jesus was tempted. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, verse 13, it says, "...and He was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan." And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Before Jesus started his public outreach and his ministry, the Spirit led him, after the baptism, to go out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Something I promise you I have never done before. Right? He fasted for 40 days. During that period of time, Satan tempted him. In fact, the first temptation was something that we could all kind of, Probably recognize, and we'll talk about it a little more here in a minute, but this idea of converting stones into bread. You haven't eaten in 40 days. You're the son of God. Obviously, you need to eat. You need to take care of yourself. you got a ministry to do, right? The problem was it was the wrong way. But Jesus himself was tempted. You know, temptation itself is not wrong. It's when we act on it or when we dwell on it. And I want to throw out, I don't think every thought that goes through my mind is always my own. The enemy is hunting for you. The enemy is going after you. He is wanting to drag you down. Especially as a believer, there's nothing else he can do. You know you're secure, you know you're preserved, you know you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, but he is going to try to drag you down and everyone else in the name of Christ and the church and your family and all the above. But not every thought that goes through your mind may be your own. Now, Jesus overcame temptation. In fact, we find that out in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I'll be honest, I used to think, uh, like I had this idea that Jesus was not really like me. Now, he is, and he's God, of course, but the human side of them. But this verse says, about everything you've ever been tempted with, Jesus has been tempted with. I bet you Jesus was tempted with money. He had a ministry where people gave sacrificially. He was a man who had no home. I mean, how easy would it have been to get a nice hotel room for a change rather than sleeping on with your head on a rock? Or you think about the praise of men and the glory of men, how how easy it would be to pursue that, to show off your powers, to show off your godhood, to have the praise of men right there easily, to be tempted with anger or wrath. Like when Jesus is on the cross and he's naked and beaten, they're mocking him publicly saying, come down off that cross if you're God. I can tell you right now, if I was God, I'd have come down off that cross. And they would all wish they'd never been born, right? Because it would be wrath and anger within me. But that's not what he said. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? Jesus would have been tempted sexually. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but he worked a lot with prostitutes. Women who have been used and abused and they meet a powerful man who is kind, who does the right thing, who is caring. I guarantee somebody made a play for him. Right? It just would have happened. We we forget sometimes that he was human in the same way that we were human. But over and over again, he did what we could not do so that we can have a relationship with the Father. He overcame temptation. And our job now as believers is to do the same. Before we were powerless to overcome it. But we have been given the tools and the spirit itself to be able to overcome temptation. Now where do temptations come from? They come from a couple of different areas. The first one is what I would consider defects of character. In Romans 7, it's one of my favorite chapters... There was this old comedy team way back, uh, called Abbott and Costello. Now, if you're, if you're a young person, you won't probably know who I'm talking about at all, but they had this famous baseball routine about who's on first. Right, and It was this comedic kind of language trying to figure out. I often think of Romans 7 as who's on first because it's really confusing language. The things I want to do, I don't want to do. The things I do want to do, I don't end up doing. And He's just going back and forth multiple times in that. But in verse 22 he says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Sin comes from our flesh. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the process of salvation occurred in the past before the foundation of the world. God picked you. It is occurring in the present in the fact that I am being saved and sanctified. And it is occurring in the future when I finally get my own new body. It is a past, present, and future process. And sometimes we get those confused, but it is happening all the time. And right now, my flesh is what's holding me back. You know when I die? When I go to heaven, nothing magical happens to me other than I lose my body. It's not I become super holy or I get up there and they give me this injection of holiness. The only transformational difference is I lose my body. And instantly, I am holy, like the Lord, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me. That is the only thing holding us back is our bodies. And that process will be complete one day. Amen? And when I jump, I guarantee it will be like Michael Jordan. I'll just sail over the whole stage, you know? Uh, the thing is, it is in our flesh. Not only that, uh, what's interesting is in James chapter 1, verse 13... You have to say that it can't come from God. Let no man say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God himself cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We can't blame anyone else. Even if the devil disappeared today and was never heard of again and all the demons and all the evil forces and principalities and powers, you would still sin. You would still be tempted to pursue anything other than God, because it always goes back to that first uh, archetypal um, temptation that you will be like God. That's what we all want to do. We all want to rule the world, right? You ever heard that old Tears for Fear song, everybody wants to rule the world? Everybody wants to rule the world. Truest song that's ever been written in all of history, right? We all want to rule things. We all want to be in control. And it comes from within ourselves, and God tempts no man. You see, it comes from our own flesh, but it also does come from the enemy. In Acts five three, but Peter said, "Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land?" Now, here's an interesting thing. I personally believe that Satan tells mostly half truths. It's never just some fantastical thing, right? Like in the garden when he's tempting uh, Eve and Adam, right? Part of it's true and part of it's not true, right? You will be like God, knowing the difference of good and evil that didn't work out for us so well. But the false part is we died. We died spiritually and then we began the process of dying physically. When Satan is talking to us, when we are tempted, at least from the enemy, it's almost always based on a half truth. It sounds so, so convincing. And it can be hard to know what the truth is. Now, when I first got into counseling, uh, the, one of the first place, well, the first place I worked was a domestic violence center. That was very difficult work. Um, I was the only male therapist in, in the shelter. Every other therapist was female. And um, and so it was really hard work. The second place I went to is I went to a place that worked with addictions. And I spent about five years there and I learned a lot about working with addictions. And addictions, um, most of the 12-step model stuff like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, like there's, there's an, a, a, a program for every kind of weakness out there. And, uh, they all follow pretty much off the same 12 steps. There were two men, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, because it was an anonymous program. Now we know what their names are. But when they started the program back, uh, in the early 1930s, 1930s, they developed these 12 steps. And it's really interesting. Most people don't realize how God-centered it is. You cannot do a recovery program without believing in God. In fact, chapter 4 of the Alcoholics Anonymous book is called To the Agnostic, where they're like, hey, if you don't believe in something, you're going to die. You know, you have to believe in something greater than yourself. Now, they're not as, uh, unfortunately, not as uh, Jesus-focused But they are God-focused, right? And so they go through the steps. Most of the steps have the word God in it over and over and over again. And what's interesting is step six. Step six is this phrase that says this. We're entirely ready. This is step six. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. That's what step six is. Coming to this process of removing the defects of character. Um, I'm going to show you a picture of a foundation. Uh, it's a brick wall. Nope, back up, I guess. There it is. Right? Every person is tempted. But not every person has the same defects of character. I'll give you an example. And I'm going to tell a story I've never told my daughter, so you better not ever do this. Uh, when I was probably around 12 years old, my grandmother smoked. You know, back when doctors used to endorse it on commercials and things like that. After a surgery, I light up with whatever, you know, and they would smoke it and, and everything. So when I was about 12 years old, I started stealing cigarettes from her. And uh, not a lot, but I would steal some cigarettes and I would go out. You know, I lived in the country, so I'd go out in the pasture a little bit and I would smoke them. And my grandmother, I think, caught on. She never confronted me. But what's interesting is at that exact moment, she chose to quit. She did. And she quit cold turkey. She had smoked for a lot of years and she completely quit cold turkey. Because I think in her heart, she started to realize maybe what was going on. And was going to make sure she definitely was not the one who pushed me toward that. But you know the interesting thing about smoking? I could smoke a cigarette or a cigar today and then never pick one up again and it would not bother me at all. Yeah, uh, you know, I liked to do it then. But it wasn't something that had its hooks in me. Does that make sense? We have general temptations that we all face, but every one of us have something, though, that does has its hooks in us. Every one of us have a crack like that somewhere. In fact, I have many, not just one. I have a lot of things that can have their hooks in me. Some things I can pass over. It's not a temptation to me at all, but some things are really, really difficult. And in life, I have found that every person is the same. I have yet to meet a person other than my Savior who is not in the same condition as I am. I'm a counseling practice where people come in and pretty much every single day, they talk about that. Brian, I have tried to do this. I have tried to do that. I have prayed. I have memorized verses. You know, I've done therapy before. I've read self-help books. I've got an accountability partner. I've done all these things about those cracks Because so many things leak in, so many things get into my heart, and it is so hard to stop it. The thing is, we are all damaged. But what's the name of this series you're in? But God. Remember I said it's not... The harshness of God, that was the unusual part. It's the mercy of God that happens every day for every single one of us. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for Brian Powers. Even if Brian Powers was the only person that need died for, Jesus would have done it. He died for each and every one of us to transform us. And it is a long process. Some people do find healing, I'll admit. Some people will pray and God will work a miracle and there's a crack in their life that seals right up. But that's rare. Most of the time, God wants us to be working on these things. If you go to an AA meeting, what's really interesting is you will meet people who will say they are a grateful, recovering alcoholic. And they will actually say in those meetings that many times they are glad they're an alcoholic. And you will talk to them and people will be like, well, what do you mean by that? Why would you be glad you're an alcoholic? And they'll say this, because without alcoholism, I would have never sought the face of God. Most of the time, unless we have a real problem or a real weakness, we do it all in our own flesh. I can tell you right now, the hooks that I have, the cracks that I have in my life, if they were not there, I probably would have lived my entire life in my own power and my own energy and I would have never thought I needed God. God uses those weaknesses so that we will pursue him. If you're struggling today and you are down because you're like, how many times do I have to fight this? And I can't seem to get over this over and over and over again. Know this. There is one positive thing from it. You will seek God. You will seek the Lord. Now I want to show you a picture of another foundation. That's the one right there. That's the pantheon. It was uh, built about 2,000 years ago, around Jesus' time. Um, it is still exists today. It has gone through multiple earthquakes. It is made of Roman concrete. Did you know the average concrete in the United States is built for 100 years? That's how long concrete is designed to last in the United States of America. 100 years. This has stood for 2,000 years. And in fact, until this year, just a couple of months ago, you might have read a story about it. They finally found out why Roman concrete was so different because they couldn't figure out the formula. They did know that they used seawater, which is something unusual, you know, but the way they made it, it has lasted thousands upon thousands of years. Hundreds and hundreds of buildings have stood for thousands of years. And this is not reinforced. There's no rebar in it. There's no any kind of structural piece inside that concrete. It is all simply poured and has held for thousands of years. The reason is, this second picture here, this is a piece of Roman concrete. Looks a little different, doesn't it? What they discovered this year is that Roman concrete had what was called lime class. Uh, C-L-A-S-T-S, clasts, And it was chunks of lime that was in it, so that when the concrete began to crack, what would happen is water would run in it. And that's always what causes the damage with concrete. Water gets in between there and things like that and the heat and the cold and all that. And it winds and cracks and eventually falls apart. But with lime class, what happens is when the water gets in there it reacts with the lime, the lime begins to swell and it actually seals the crack up. Roman concrete is self-healing. That's why it has lasted for 2,000 years. Every time there's a crack in it, it just fills it back up. Now, there are some uh, cracks that eventually, you know, the line eventually runs out and things like that. But you have it last for thousands of years. So what I want to talk a little bit about today is what we need to put in our foundation if we're going to last. we got to do some different things. Because the way this was set in the original form is not going to work. I've got to do some things that are different. Now I'm not going to keep you long today. Uh, when I like, I really like uh, old sayings, and I remember there uh, uh, there was a pastor out in Florida, and he had a couple old sayings that I really liked. Here's the first one: uh, Get all you can, can all you get, get off your can. Now, that also might be lost if you don't know what canning is uh, for food. But uh, get all you can, can all you get, get off your can. The second thing he said that stuck with me all these years is he said this to young preachers. He said, uh, preachers, just remember the mind can't take what the seat can't endure. Amen? Amen? I think I should have a chair up here probably remind probably remind Pastor Doug to speed it up sometimes he was on his you know on that chair right so uh so how do you get out of it right well here's the first thing in 1 Corinthians 10:13 Paul says no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When I, uh, we adopted Evie, and uh, when we adopted her, before the adoption, I had to have a home study by a social worker. It's part of the process of adoption in the United States, and they have different people come in, home study person come in. They have the fire chief or fire inspector come in as well to do different things. You have to meet all these qualifications. My fire inspector was really difficult and a bit of a pain. Um, they wanted me to have you ever gone into a building and seen a safety map or an evacuation map in your in in a building it's sketched out like architecturally and it will show where the exits are so my fire inspector wanted me to design at the time I lived in an apartment one front door and a balcony right they wanted me to design and hang in my house a safety plan So that if I'm incapacitated, my baby can escape the fire. Look up at the thing. Oh, that's where I need to crawl, right? It's ridiculous, right? So there I was, drawing it out. But I will promise you this, I learned a lot of things about my apartment. I learned my apartment was, the balcony was 27 feet ...to the ground. We are on the second story and kind of the way, you know, apartments sometimes like it can rise and fall. But right where my balcony was, straight down, it was 27 feet. And I had to buy one of those emergency ladders that you hang on a balcony and, you know, pull the cord and it releases and goes all the down... ...and you can crawl off the balcony if the front door is not able to be egressed or if you're not able to get out. I learned a lot about my apartment. You know what? We need to do some more escape planning, I think, as Christians... We need, whatever your crack is, whatever that defect of character is, you need to develop an escape plan because there is one. God promised you there is one. He will provide a way of escape. So we need to start thinking of that so that the next time we're tempted, we exactly know how we're going to handle it. You have to plan ahead. I'd spoke to the uh, school a couple times. Um, over the years. And one time I was talking about something and, and I had mentioned this idea of like, you know, the school has to do fire drills and they do, you know, tornado drills. And unfortunately nowadays, we've got to do active shooter drills, things that I didn't have to do as a kid. And, you know, so you're doing these type of things. Is the day of the fire the day you practice a safety like egress? Is that the day you practice the fire safety drill is during the fire? You practice it before the fire right? You have to have the plan before the fire. Most of the time I get in trouble because temptation comes and I have no plan of escape. I don't know what's going on. I'm running around doing all the wrong things, trying to take things with me, all the things you're not supposed to do with the fire. You know, I'm trying to do all those things. We need to find an escape plan. We need to have one in our mind. Whatever your problem is, you need to start thinking of it today. What is my plan the next time I'm tempted with this? What is my plan the next time I'm tempted with that? Another way that we overcome temptation is scripture. And what I'm talking about today is not rocket scientists, rock, science. I'm not going to say one thing that you do not know or have never heard before. But I have found that most of the time you got to say something multiple times. In fact, in ministry they have what's called the rule of three. Years ago, Temple used to do, when I was on staff, we used to do a chili cook-off. I don't know if anybody remembers that if you were here at that time. And it was great we brought in outside judges. You got an apron, there was lots of competition with it and everything. But it was always really funny. You would come in and then announcements were playing like before the service on the screen. It would say the chili cook off and you'd be like, "Oh, okay." And then during the service at some point either someone saying it from the pulpit or giving an announcement, you know, "Oh, you know." And then at the end of the service, man, it's really exciting that chili cook off's coming up and I would come down off stage and somebody come to me and say, hey, Brian, are we doing that chili cook-off this year? Right? Even though we just said it like three times in a row. I can tell you right now, I've heard a thousand messages on faith, but I still hadn't got there. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't hear it again. How did Jesus overcome temptation? Luke 4, 3, the devil said to him when he was being tempted in the, de- uh, in the wilderness and he was hungry after 40 days, he says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In fact, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. This is the portion he's quoting. And he humbled you. Talking about God. And let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know the amazing thing? All of Jesus' temptations. All the times he would have been tempted over the course of his years. 33-ish years in life. Do you realize he only combated the devil by the Old Testament? New Testament wasn't written. Every time Jesus is quoting scripture, he's quoting an Old Testament passage. So I just want to throw out number one. Don't think the Old Testament is not of use anymore. This is good enough for Jesus. I promise it's good enough for you. Don't neglect it. There's plenty of things to learn in there. But how much more do we have now that we have the completed work of God in the New Testament? He used scripture. If you have a weakness, you better have a verse memorized in your heart for that weakness. Develop an escape plan. Get a verse, a couple of verses. Memorize those verses. And as you're tempted, quote those verses to yourself. It is really hard to sin while you're quoting the verse in your own head. I'm not saying it's impossible. Trust me, if I can make it happen, I could do it. But it's really hard. Not only that, overcoming temptation is through prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching that It's often called the Lord's Prayer, but that's actually not accurate. This would not be a prayer that Jesus would pray because he asks for forgiveness, right? Jesus isn't going to be praying for forgiveness, Right. This is should be more a a better term for it would be the model prayer. Right. Like the idea of what I should be praying. It's not necessarily what Jesus would always pray. Now, he would pray for some of these things, but I guarantee not the one when it has to do with the forgiveness of our debts. Right. In Matthew six, nine, he says, pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have uh, we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, does anyone ever think like that? Sounds like a contradiction. The Bible says God can't tempt me, but then they immediately pray, "God, don't lead us into temptation." You ever thought about that? It's a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? I think there's a good illustration. Um, if, if you've ever had small children, uh, you will know that there's some areas of a store you're going to avoid. Right? If you're going into Walmart and you don't want to be there like 30 minutes, don't go to the toy side of Walmart. Right? Don't go to the candy side of Walmart. When Jesus here is talking about leading us in or, you know, not leading us into temptation, it's much like a parent. God, don't take us down the candy aisle. God, don't take us down the toy aisle. Now, the difference between God tempting us would be like if God took us down the candy aisle and then God said, oh, I bet you want to steal that candy. Why don't you steal it? Well, no, God's not ever going to do that. But sometimes in our journey in life, we are led down paths we don't enjoy that are much harder than others. And this prayer is for that. Notice, like, day for bread. Well, Jesus went 40 days without bread, right? Like, there's going to be times you're going to be tempted and tried and tested. But it's this idea of God, keep me out of that aisle that's the most tempting Don't pull me down that aisle. But the temptation part still comes from within us and from our enemy, never God. But we need to pray. Once again, prayer is one of those things. It's hard to sin while you're actively praying. And prayer is one of those weird things. It's the easiest but yet hardest thing in the world. It requires no money, requires no energy. (laughs) You know, you can do it anywhere at any time. You can do it while you're driving, you can do it while you're sitting at the house, you can do it in your bed at night, but yet it is so hard to have an attitude of prayer. But we have to have connection to the Father. If we don't have connection to the Father, our flesh will win out over and over and over again. It is within our nature. We must pray. Overcoming temptation also includes accountability. In Hebrews 10, verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to good works, or to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and... Um, as... Oh, that's interesting. I must have miscopied that in my... All of a sudden this didn't make sense, all right. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near, right? The thing is, we need other people. Now, my stepfather is a retired police officer. He had a really storied career. Oh, my gosh, he's got so many stories. Some of them are really funny. Some of them are tragic. some of them are pretty neat. Like I remember back in the day, there was this guy named Joe. My dad was training him. And there was this old TV show called uh, TJ Hooker. And it had William Shatner as a police officer, right? And he had this signature move in there where he would take his nightstick and he would throw it and he would hit somebody's back legs, like me falling on the stage, and they would tumble down, right? And so this guy, Joe, threw the nightstick and hit the guy in the back of the head. <laughs> And, uh, he used to have this, uh, he used to be involved as well with, um, you know, he worked his way up and eventually he became like over patrol. He was involved in over patrol. And my dad would, uh, 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 I love him. He is a spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Best kind of police officer. Right? And so he is a spirit of the law. And so I remember he used to have this hiring process, you know, and they got to take the civil service test and do all these things. But when they would come in, he would have a series of questions that he would ask them. And they were always really tricky questions. This was the first question. We have a four-way stop in town where multiple accidents have happened and people have gotten hurt. We need to send a message to the citizens of the town that you can't roll through the stop. You need to fully stop and look both ways. Okay? Okay. So if you're hired on here and we assigned you there, I want you to imagine you go out, you're writing tickets, you're looking, you're watching this stop, and all of a sudden a very familiar car rolls up to the stop. But doesn't completely stop and rolls through. It's your mother. Do you write her a ticket? You know what the answer is? No, you do not write your mom a ticket. Spirit of the law, you're going to get yourself in a lot of problems, right? And your mom a ticket, right? Come, you know, got to So anyway, he had all these interesting things, but one thing that he used to say, and it took me a long time to understand it, he said, um, "Locks on doors keep honest people honest. So if you go up to a door and it's locked, that is not for a criminal." I have an office in Colleyville. I can lock the door. But if someone took a rock in the middle of the night, they could throw it right through the window and walk right in. Probably your house the same, right? Locks are not for criminals. Locks are for honest people. That when you go up to the door and you try it and it doesn't work, you think in your mind, oh, I'm not supposed to go in there. Accountability is what keeps us honest. Accountability is what keeps us on the right path. We have to have accountability. Dan Pena, he had a famous saying. He says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who you put in your life. Here in Hebrews, uh, the author here is saying we should get together together. And do it often and encourage one another and have positive influences in our life. Accountability, one-on-one, people that you can talk to about your problem. Now, I don't think you have to get up on stage and say your problem. I think you keep things quiet with trusted people and safe people. But somebody should know whatever you're struggling with. At least one other human being should know what you're really struggling with all the time. I've got a couple of people like that in my life. People who will call me out, people who will confront me, people who will ask me how I'm really doing and not be just good, you know. you got to have people in your life that will hold you accountable. Otherwise, it's a slippery slope. Accountability is in everything in the universe, in every organization. If it's going to be a successful one... And the church is no different. We have to have accountability. We have to have people that will hold us to the fire, or our feet to the fire. In Proverbs twenty seven, seventeen, it says iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens the other. The thing is, we need those type of things going on in our life. We need accountability. Accountability with people and accountability with our actions. If you are struggling in something, accountability. If you're struggling with giving, for example, right? Go back to the original one. Who's going to ask you, hey, have you been sacrificial for the cause of Christ through the church, through missions, through giving to some organization, through giving to someone who's in need? Someone who's going to ask you the question. If you're struggling with lust, for example... Do you have accountability software on your phone or your computer or any kind of device? Is someone there to ask you, right? Whatever you're struggling with in life, you need to have people that will ask you the hard questions. To overcome temptation also means removing the obstacles. Jesus spoke with a lot of hyperbole, grand statements that are not always to be taken literal. And I'll give you an example. In Matthew 5:27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That's the hyperbole. Jesus is not saying to maim yourself or to blind yourself. For it is better that you lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that of your whole body go into hell. What that means is whatever that defect of character you have, make bold decisions Most of the time when people come into my office and talk to me, they have done 95% of the work. You ever seen one of those in case of emergency break glass and there's something that's behind it? If you're struggling with smoking or vaping or something like that, it's probably, I got rid of 95% of them. But there's that one pack that I keep back somewhere, you know. Whatever it is, we will always try to find a back door and a loophole to get out of it. Jesus says if you are struggling with the temptation, make a bold, decisive action. Do whatever it takes to remove that from your life. I know uh, I have a client. He's male. He struggles with lust and pornography. And he, ha- he gave up his uh, smartphone, went to a flip phone. I know someone else, these are both just examples of lust for whatever reason, but when him and his family go on vacation, they never go to the beach in the summer. He always goes after Labor Day. Takes his kids out of school. Goes. Big step. But he does whatever he can to protect his heart. Do whatever you can to protect your heart. Do whatever you can. Bold, decisive actions. Every one of us have struggles, trials and temptations. Some things, we'd all struggle with the same things. We all have different weaknesses. But you got to have a plan. You got to know the word. You got to pray. You have to have accountability in your life and you have to remove every single obstacle to succeed. Otherwise, you will dance the same dance over and over and over. It was attributed to Einstein. Whether he said it or not, I don't know. But the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. If you want a different result in your spiritual walk and in your spiritual life, make a bold action. Make a bold plan. Strive with all your heart. Let us pray. Father, I come to you now. I thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I just ask that uh, you help me personally with the temptations in my life. And I pray for the congregation here today and anyone who's listening um, online, that whatever they're struggling with, Lord, that you will help them to know the truth and to pursue a plan of action that will help them. To be free and delivered and live the victorious, joyful life you have promised us in you. Lord, help us to reach out to someone and actually speak with them about our problem. Not to just say we'll work on it. Make promises to ourselves and nothing changes. Help us, Lord, to pursue you with our whole heart. Help us to be like you. Help us to learn from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.